0: I hope you have a Bible, and if you do, would love for you to open up with me to Ezekiel chapter 16, uh, kind of middle toward the end of the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 16 will be Beginning uh, with a read from the very end of that chapter. So it's Ezekiel 16, verses 59 through 63. Not, This isn't the message, but uh, if you want to know how long some chapters of the Bible can get, just open up and read the book of Ezekiel. There are some lengthy, lengthy reads. Thankfully, it uh, uh, wouldn't be a bad experience, but thankfully, we're not going to read all 63 verses of this chapter. You should sometimes. It's a pretty good read. Uh, but we'll begin our time by reading verses 59 through 63. Uh, also, if you would, put a bookmark in Colossians chapter 1. We'll be reading from there at the very end of our time to uh, to cap off um, the conversation I think we're going to have. Uh, that's going to be very important, very helpful, uh, that will be inspired by this very passage. So, Ezekiel 16, if you found your place. God's word says to us, For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, who despise the oath by breaking the covenant. He's talking to Israel here, of course. Nevertheless, that's a big word, underline that, highlight that. That is a monumental transition from the previous statement. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed. When you receive your older and younger sisters, for I will give them to you for your daughters, for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. And he's talking about the prolonging of their lineage, the, the prolonging of the nation of Israel, that they would not die out in this very dire state that they were in. Verse 62. I will establish my covenant with you, then you shall know that I am the Lord. That you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I provide you an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord. Now, may God bless the readings of His Word and the conversation that comes from His Word. Got a really awesome. Uh, word from God in this passage, and I really believe we're going to have a good time discussing where God takes us. But I'm going to ask you a question first. Have you ever had an encounter or an experience that changed your attitude or approach in life? Maybe in life as a whole, or perhaps in a very specific area of your life. Have you ever had an encounter, an episode, something so important, so dynamic, so jarring or so uh, monumental that it, that it changed you and it, and it caused you to change how you approach something or someone or some area of your life? It changed the attitude that you conducted your life with. It changed how you dealt with that specific area of your life. Have you ever had an encounter, an episode, an event or experience that's so that was so powerful That was so influential, so impactful, that it changed something about you and how you perceived and responded to life. Now, I think everybody here can answer yes in some capacity to that question, maybe in a very small area, maybe in a very big and and, and important area of your life. Obviously, we're in church, so maybe you have a moment in time where, uh, because of faith, because of God, because of how all things begin to work together from His uh, dealing in your life, that... Your life changed, and you changed as a result, Uh, but I think we can probably more relate in a broader sense. Uh, Maybe your experience led you to a deeper place of faith uh, as a result, but, but something happened to you. Something almost happened to you, maybe. Something came upon you, and as a result of that set of circumstances, something that happened or could have happened, you were left a different person. You had a different outlook on life. You had a certain area of your life that that previously you ignored or previously you dealt with in a certain way. And because of that thing that happened, because of that event, because of those circumstances, you changed and you were changed as a result. Maybe it was a health scare. Uh, maybe it was a health crisis. It wasn't just a potential health issue. It was a health issue. Uh, maybe there was something that made you take what you put into your body and what you did with your body serious, or you began to realize there were some risks that you had that you needed to address. Otherwise, you would may, maybe deal with uh, some pretty uh, you know pretty harsh uh, you know. Uh, your realities in, in, in that situation. Maybe something happened to you, uh, or happened to someone close to you, and it calls you to rethink how you spend your time. It calls you to reprioritize the people in your life, and the relationships that you give yourself to. And, and, and I guess if, you, if you'll notice, and we went down the line and talked about all the potential scenarios and all of our own shared experiences, maybe you would you notice that a lot of these um, are potentially troubling or challenging circumstances a lot of the things that change us or potentially change us and make a difference and impact on us are things that, um, you know, when they happened or if they happened, they were negative or troubling or challenging. But that's not to say, that's not to say at all that good things can't have the same effect on us. Uh, because when we go through something that may be a tremendous blessing, a tremendous outpouring of generosity from somebody or from God, uh, those things as well can have as big of an impact on us. And, and I know for, for Lindsay and I, uh, I, I, think I think for both of us, just recently having moved into our new home and, and, and all the things that our family has done for us the last year or so, uh, and, and moving in, you know, there's a deeper appreciation, deeper awareness. Just how blessed we are, and, and of course you all being supportive of us through uh, out so many years, uh, that she and I just recently have uh, been renewed in our appreciation for uh, just how blessed we are, but, but more importantly than that, and more impactful than, than, than the material things, um, the same way... Uh, that if, Lizzie and I have both uh, just been reminded uh, of God's goodness and, and just how blessed we are and how great family is with the birth of our baby, Andrea. And, and really, the last seven months uh, have caused me to sit back and think uh, about one of my favorite Bible verses that I quote throughout the day, most, most of the day, uh, most every day, and sometimes, several times a day. Uh, Psalm 16, verse number 6, uh, David wrote this, the lines have fallen for me. Places, Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And, and when we begin to realize just how good God has been to us, and whether there are small blessings or great blessings, things that mean a lot to everybody, or things that just mean a lot to us... Those things cause us to well up in gratitude, right? And they cause us to—they're uh, they, humbling, and they remind us of how good God has been and how good things are. And that causes us to want to do good things with the opportunity we've been given and make the most of the life that we've been given. And um, and, and, and i got to say, though, Lindsay and I—and and again, I think I can speak for both of us— that we would not have this incredible joy, this sense of gratitude, uh, and we would not feel this incredible weight of goodness that has come into our life with Andrea, uh, if not for the grueling and emotional, and at times painful previous two-year journey, really more than that, uh, that preceded her arrival. Now, it's mostly Lindsay's story to tell, but she's put it into words many of you have read. But even from my position, uh, trying to say the right thing and do the right thing in the midst of sometimes uh, very difficult and very trying you know, seasons of life, sometimes the grief wouldn't immediately register. And it would kind of just pile up and wake up all at once as we went through the uh, uh, infertility uh, process. But it, so in regard to all that, we would not have the reminder and the appreciation. More importantly, we would not have the testimony of how things have worked out for good if not for the trial – That preceded it and produced it. In so many ways. The certainty we have of God's power and God's kindness and God's mercy is a direct result of the preceding season of doubt and uncertainty. See how it works? If you would have said, if you would have asked us 18 months, two years ago, both of us would have said, Yeah, we know God is in control. But it's easy to say that. And sometimes not necessarily really feel that. Even though we had never been through anything like that before, even though our knowledge was based on hope, not experience, we would have still said, yeah, we know that God's in control. But but ask us now, and we know just how much God was in control. And not only do we know, but we have proof of just how much God was in control. You see, we know how clearly God used brokenness to literally produce life. Spiritually, the joy, the blessings that we now cherish. See, we don't just simply have belief or hope. Now, we know. That's how God works. That's how life works. Sometimes, most of the time, we go through seasons of uncertainty. We go through moments of panic. So that... Can we say those two words together? So that... We go through seasons of uncertainty, moments of panic, so that we might come to a place of preparation and a place of confidence. That's why it's those moments that are challenging. It's those seasons that are troubling. It's those times in your life when the darkness seems to get deeper and deeper thicker and thicker and and more palpable. It's those seasons where things become more and more unknown that end up resulting in and producing a knowledge We would not have traded anything to obtain. Now, on the light of I remember back when I was in the seventh grade, and and forgive me, I I didn't ask for a memory like this, so if you think he's just showing off, I I can't help it. I remember stuff. Sometimes I remember things I wish I didn't remember. Sometimes I remember dates and times that happened in my life that I'm thinking, "Why why does that need to have a space in my brain? I would love to replace it with another language or another other, you know, something else that's more helpful, but I'm stuck with remembering dates that don't mean anything at all to anybody and really don't mean much to me other than the fact that I can use it in a sermon uh, fit 20 years later or whatever. Um, so just wanted to preface that. So back in the seventh grade, uh, which middle school was a terrible time, maybe for you it was a great time. For me it was not a fun time, but I do remember some things like this that weren't fun at all either, so I'll share it with you all and, and make you go through it with me. Um, but back in the seventh grade, I just got home from school on a Friday afternoon. It was May 2nd, 2003. Again, I don't know why I remember that. I wish I didn't remember it. I mean, I don't really care that I remember it, but I'm not really enthused the fact that I can remember what happened on May 2nd, 2003. Maybe you remember what happened on that day, and it was good for you, too, or bad for you, but you can share it some other time. Uh, but uh, about an hour after I got home from school, I got home from school, and I did this routine. I sat on the couch, and I was watching, probably watching NASCAR or something. I don't I, I know what I was doing, but I'm not. I sat on the couch, I was watching TV, because that's what I did. That's what a 12 year old does when they get home from school, right? Uh, and I also couldn't really walk well at the time, so I didn't really have a whole lot going on. So I, I got home from school, and I probably got a drink and some snacks, sat on the couch, watching TV. It was sunny outside, it was you know, hot as hot as it gets in the springtime. And about an hour later, and you've gone through this before in the springtime and summertime, about an hour later, the blue sky and the sun was overtaken by an ominous, I mean, as dark as it can be, and as scary and as chilling as it can be. chill you know, ominous, dark, blue, black clouds. And, and what happened for the next, whatever, 20 minutes was one of the worst storms I can ever remember. Um, it swept over the house, it was a terrible, terrible, wind was howling, hail was falling, rain was sideways, I, I, you know, tornadoes probably in the area. Um, it was a terrible, terrible storm. I had always been afraid of storms. I kind of grew out of it, but I was still young enough to kind of still be connected to you know being a kid, and my, my grandmother taking us to the grocery store because that was a safer place in our home. You know, I was kind of conditioned to be afraid of storms because uh, my, my grandmother, Andrea, would tell us that her house would be the first one to blow, so we would go to... Go to the food line, y'all know where it's at, the old Bilo, uh, Winn-Dixie at the time, right? It, that, that store she was convinced was safer than her home. And maybe it was, but I would go, go down, I think Dana and I have talked about this. I would, I would go down to that grocery store and I would think, well, this is like a bunker, right? You know, if you grew up during the bomb scares of the, of the Cold War, you know, you went to the cellar, I, I went to the grocery store. Um, but, so this store sort that, that, that didn't happen this time. I was at home. But this storm was awful. I'd always been afraid of storms, so I guess it was just kind of that, that close enough to my childhood that it kind of jarred that back, uh, uh, you know, inside of me. Now it was so impactful. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, and because of that evening, uh, it, it, because that evening is so pressed in my memory, I was able to look up and, and there's there's weather archives. And again, don't waste your time doing this. But there there actually are weather archives online. You can actually look back to the date and the time and the hour, and you can see. Windstorm broke out. Uh, so uh, thanks to a website called Weather Underground, uh, I was able to actually go back to that very day. And you can see, uh, just just so y'all don't, I'm not just making this up for dramatic effect, you can see around 5.30. Uh, I always wanted to be a weatherman back in the day, so this is kind of fun. Around 5.30 in the evening, you can see the wind spikes up and the rain spikes up. So it was just a terrible storm. And again, this, is, um, uh, this actually happened. So I remember, so I checked the memory and checked the archives to confirm that, yeah, that actually happened. Uh, So, you know, I I remember that evening I decided, and this is a big resolution that you make. You know, maybe you you go through a a cancer scare or something. I'm going to be healthier or heart scare. I made a decision that day that I was never going to be caught off guard by the weather ever again. Now, I haven't always stayed true to that. The last couple of years, I've got a little slack with the weather. We had some other stuff going on. Um, but uh, that day, I made a decision I was never going to be caught off guard, by the way. So for the next four or five years of my life, uh, again, this is riveting stuff for a teenager, I know, I almost exclusively watched the Weather Channel. Now, I don't know what's going on on the Weather Channel today, but back then, there wasn't a lot going on on the Weather Channel. Local in the age, that was always exciting. The um, Storm stories came on at night, but there wasn't a lot going on. But I, and if you would have came over, I know people probably remember this, if, if, you know, everyone will, people that would come over to the house and I'm like, what, what's going on? Why is he watch the Weather Channel? I just watched the Weather Channel. That's all I did. I was like, I would play a Game Boy and I would have it all in the background and I would just kind of pay attention to the weather. Now, I don't think I needed to watch it morning, evening, and, and night to, to know about I could have just watched it once, but I just watched it all the time. Now, I think probably I kind of got interested in the weather and hurricanes and all the science as a, as a result of that, so I kind of watched it because I just kind of liked it. But there was a thing in me They wanted to know everything that I could know about the weather because, because, and it all goes back to that Friday afternoon when I was scared to death about the weather and not being prepared. I don't know what I could have done if I did know it was coming, but nonetheless, um, I I made a decision that day. Now, in in retrospect, I think all of us have similar stories where you went through something, silly as that might have been or severe as it could be. You went through something, a trial or a, a scare, and it caused you to want to have as much knowledge as you could, and as much preparation as you could, and as much confidence as you could, were you ever to face something like that again, or just in result of how you wanted to go through, go about life for the next for the rest of your life. And because of the thing that you went through, now you know, now you know. And you have a hunger to know more and more. Because of that thing that you went through, because of that trial, because of those circumstances, you now know what you would not have known otherwise. If not for the struggle. If not for the trouble. You may have not, you may not have had the motivation or the confirmation. You now See, when you made those changes, when you went through that process, the end result, the person you became as a result, the version of yourself, was an improved and a better version. Now, now we who believe that there's a God who's in control and working all things out, our faith grows and our faith is strengthened. We take hold of the knowledge about God and the connection uh, with God that we would not have had otherwise, we could not obtain otherwise. So I don't know what goals you have in life. What bars is that for yourself? What milestone you're chasing? But sometimes if we pay attention to the circumstances that we're facing, especially the challenges that we come up against. We are reminded of what should be at the top of our list. Maybe you know this. Maybe you don't know this. Maybe this is news to you. But there is a God. The God who rules and reigns above us all. He can be known in a personal way. And as Dan DeHaan put it about 40 years ago, God is someone that you can know. He can be known as intimately and as closely as we have the appetite to pursue. But so often in our lives, we don't have the appetite unless something makes us aware of our hunger. You hear that? So often we don't realize we have a need for something until our backs are against the wall and every other thing is removed from us. The story of redemption has been one that God has been reaching down from heaven to people just like us, transforming their life with a simple invitation. Come and know that I am the Lord. And the passage we read to open up today succinctly captures that invitation from God. God is inviting us, in as, as, we, as it was then to this day, to come and allow him to frame our circumstances with a perspective and understanding that we would otherwise be missing.
1: Come and allow
0: him to show us how he is working in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of discomfort. There is a God that you can know, and he invites you to come and see for yourself. Here's the thing. Often the path that God has ordained for us and the experience. To meet him and experience him, along with the pressure the world brings on us. Often it is not as we would expect, not as we would anticipate, not as we would design for ourselves. Through our eyes and through our flesh, in our flesh, it appears and feels less than ideal, and maybe feels impossible. Our eyes and our flesh convince us that it can't be this way, that it can't, this can't be God's way, and this can't be God's will. It will look and feel contrary to everything we've ever dreamed up, anticipated, or expected. And it's in those moments, it's in those seasons, that we must hear the voice of God that is louder than our senses, and is stronger than our emotions. The voice of God that says come and know and experience me. And yes, I've led you into this season of, of, of uncertainty. I have led you into the season of doubt. I have brought you to this place so that you You might know that I am the Lord. Whether you realize it or not. There is a God you can know. He rules over the universe. He rules over our world. He rules over your world. He is not distant. He is not hands off. He is not only reactive to your request. He doesn't just wait for you to call on him. He is orchestrating and he has ordained your life before you were ever born, the Bible tells us. Ephesians 1.4 Even as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless, that you might know Him fully and thoroughly and optimally. This is always true, even if what's ordained and predestined includes pain and devastation. And it could be, it could be that what seems only bad or negative is part of how God is going to wow you the most when he works it out for his good and for your good. I don't think there's a greater example of how God works and proof that God works than the story of Ezekiel the priest and prophet. Everything Ezekiel had ever told, been told about God, expected about God, anticipated about serving God, was turned on its head. The very year he was supposed to be ordained into the priesthood, turns out God had a greater ordination planned for him and was preparing him for something greater, a much greater ministry. But there was no way Ezekiel could have saw it coming. Uh, Around 600 BC, Israel was besieged by Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar overthrew the government, installed his own government. He took into exile the tribe of Judah and Levi, the ruling class and the priesthood. And while many of the sons of Judah received jobs in Babylon, all the sons and daughters of Levi were made slaves and captives and refugees in a camp by the Kabar River. Ezekiel thought his life was over as one of those refugees. He thought his ministry and opportunity to serve God was over. The temple was gone. The the entire livelihood that he had known as a child was gone. He thought his chance to encounter and experience God was over before it ever got started. But the very fact that you hold a document in your hands that's named after him, written by him, reveals just how wrong he was. Ezekiel recorded his exilic experience in a journal because as the first few verses revealed to us, God came to him and said, surprise, surprise, Ezekiel. My plans for you are much different than you ever dreamed up and they are actually going to exceed your expectations. It was especially powerful for Ezekiel because he felt like his golden opportunity had been taken from him and was long gone. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yet to God, this was a divine appointment. God does not bail when things go sideways, but it's when we begin to see how that our plane is misaligned. The, that's when we realize how skewed our world actually is, and we begin to be on level ground in the kingdom of God. When things feel like they're sliding one way in our world, we might be going in the right direction when it comes to God's. It's in the season of turmoil, in the trial, in the test that God speaks to us and puts his hand on us. It's there. Amidst the world's captivity That our capacity to know God Reaches a new level It's there that God's revelation Takes on a greater clarity Remember the first The, 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 the introduction that we talked about last week It says that there God put his hand on Ezekiel There God called Ezekiel Where was there? In captivity In a refugee camp In the place he never thought would be For his good, in a place that he thought He did not deserve to be, in a place That he thought would only end up being bad for him. He was taken along with the rest of the nation. It wasn't his fault they were exiled. He was a part, he was just, you know, taken by association. But it was there that his capacity got greater, and it was there that the revelation became clear. God told Ezekiel that his entire ministry would be one of showing the rest of Israel that their expectations were not in line with God's will either. And he would teach them how God could be encountered and experienced in light of all that was going on around them, that they thought was bad, that they thought was negative, that they thought was not as it should be. God used Ezekiel to show the rest of the nation that maybe this bad set of circumstances... Has happened to us, so that we might come to know our God. This may be revelations from us. It, it may be confirmation to many of us. But a lot of us, a lot of I can point at other people, but I want to just talk to us today because that's who that's who's here. A lot of people, a lot of us have boxed God out of our circumstances. Isn't it true? You've convinced yourself. Or you've been convinced by maybe religion or maybe somebody that you're 12 steps away from God ever working in your life. And, and you know, let alone, again, if you, for you to take his plan seriously and for you to get into where he wants you to be, you're so far away from that. So why should you even try? Why should you even care? Why should you even worry about that? Can't you see, and I know it's not easy, it's, I know it's so easy to be blind by this, but can't you see that's a mechanism of our flesh and our nature that ultimately keeps us from ever taking a step forward? It's the same thing that makes you push off goal setting in your, in your life, that makes goals seem unreachable and unrealistic and unlikely. It's the same thing in all of us that, that, that sort of defaults to giving up or reverting to some lesser place. If you're going to wait forever, before you start taking faith seriously and pursuing God's will for your life, you may never get there. And God specifically is working in the opposite way so that you'll come to know, number one, He does not play by this following world's rules. And number two, He isn't so limited that everything has to be perfect on our end to experience His perfection. Hear that again. He is not so limited Everything has to be perfect on our end For us to experience his perfection And it could be And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it That God is not going to share the spotlight You see in our flesh We're so shallow If we have things that went halfway comfortable in our life We won't cling to God as the best And the greatest and the ultimate source of good We won't cling to him as our source of joy And peace and power We'll relegate him to back up to all the other stuff we've got going on. That's the reason why our perfect picture has to crack a little bit for us to take God seriously. Because then we'll see how much bigger and brighter and better his perfection is. And we'll understand that nothing compares to him. In verse 63, Ezekiel says, or God says through Ezekiel. You will remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore. Now this is a figure of speech. The point is, you're going to be so wild. You're going to be so taken aback. You're going to be so speechless about what God is doing. You will never so much as doubt that he is in control. Even when it's in the middle of a storm and brokenness and everything is upside down, you will not so much as suggest things might be going the wrong way. You will be confident that he is in control. Because back in verse 62, you will know that I am is the Lord. Now, maybe you don't know the significance of the phrase, I am the Lord. This is a play on the fact that Lord translates to, I am that I am. Let me explain a little bit what this is, what this means. When God revealed himself to Moses, Moses says, God, what's your name? And God says, I am who I am. Go tell the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Now, this is back when God was calling Moses to go reveal himself to the people of Israel in captivity. Very similar to what's going on with Ezekiel and his generation. Anytime you see the word Lord, look down at verse number 62. Notice how the word the, the word Lord is in all caps. And by that I mean, notice how not just is the L capital, but the O and the R and the D is capital. Do you see that? And, and you see how down in verse 63, at the end of that, the word Lord God, at Lord is not all capital there. There's a reason why when you see the word L-O-R-D, all capital, that is referring to the name of God that the Hebrews received from Moses. And there's something sacred and something so inspiring about this, the name of God. That word Lord is a Hebrew word that literally means I am, I am. That's the translation of it. It's the the word I am twice. It's I am that I am. I am who I am. it's just supposed to make you understand that God is the all existing supreme being of the universe. He's when Moses says, hey, what's your name? I'll give you my name. It's I am that I am. There is no one greater, no one higher. Everything that exists, exists from me out of my creative power and glory. Now, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew letter literally is Yahweh, the Y-H-W-H. Now, English, years and years later, English uh, people added in vowels, but there's no vowels there. The, the, the Hebrew is just Yahweh. It, it sounds like there's vowels in there, but they're not. But the reason why we have the name Jehovah is because people added in vowels. They added an E, added an O, added an A, and it turned into Jehovah because Y turns into J when you take it from one to the other. But the word Jehovah comes from this Hebrew name Yahweh. But the point of this is that God's name is I am That I am. If you want to know who He is, He says, I am. I am in control. I am your Creator and your Lord. If it was, if it is, if it ever comes to pass, the idea of God's name is to make you remember that it all came, it all comes from Him. Do you see where this is going? They were in exile, and they thought there's no way that this is going to work out for our good. God abandoned us. God forsook us. God turned us over. And God says, whoa, 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 guys. Let me remind y'all who I am. I allow this. I sent you there because you guys needed a reminder of who I am. You see what's going on in life sometimes? We disconnect God's control and God's goodness from our circumstances because we have an idea of what is the best version of life and whenever reality doesn't match up with our version we assume well God dropped the ball but when reality God is still in control because God's name means this if it ever was if it ever is and if it ever does happen it's because it came from God even the difficult, even the challenging, even the things that you will never understand. God is the I am. Anytime you read the Bible, the phrase, let there be, that's that's these, that's these Hebrew words, I am. God is the one who lets there be. Anytime you read, it came to pass, that's these Hebrew words. I am allowed it to happen. I am caused it to happen. When you read the words, so it was or so it came into being, it's God's name in real time. God is active. God is in every circumstance. Now, the reason why we have the English word Lord is because the Hebrews would not use this word out They wouldn't say this word out loud because of how sacred they believed God's name to be. So that's why we use the word Lord, and they use the word Adonai, which is the Hebrew for Lord. Now, that might be a little bit over our heads, but the point is God is over all of us. And we can know that. We can know him personally. If in the midst of all that's going on, we submit to him and welcome him and pursue him and follow him. Ezekiel opened up to God in the midst of all the wrong things that were going on, but the rest of the nation still had to learn. What was essentially a time of judgment, a time of upheaval, a time of exile for the people of God, God was using as a time of revelation for Do you see that? There would be no book of Ezekiel if it wasn't for the exile, if it wasn't for the judgment. Do you think, and I think many of us do, do you think that everything has to be going just right in your life to be able to receive a life-changing truth, direction, revelation to God? Do you think that everything has to be going exactly as you would design it for God to work in your life and for you to work and serve for the Lord? Do you think that you'll never get where you want to be with God unless everything else is working out exactly as you would want it to be? The message of Ezekiel is, no, that's not how it has to be and that's not how it's going to be most of the time. In fact, it's when everything is dark, bleak, broken, confusing, frustrating. Now, I don't know... What everybody's going through today, but there's something in your life that you would describe as dark, bleak, broken, confusing, frustrating. It might be a personal issue, it might be a big problem going on in your life, in your family, in the world, in the country that you're burdened about. I don't know. If you think that when these things are going on that somehow there's just not, nothing that can go good for you, here's the, the revelation from God. It's when things are dark and bleak and frustrating. That your heart is being prepared by God. And that you, your eyes are going to be open because God's light is going to shine through. So that you may know. So that you may know. God is saying to the people of Israel, as they were in exile, as they were suffering, as they were in their time of judgment... In 62, I am establishing a covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Turn over to chapter 20. We're going to read from verses 33 through 38. I want you to listen to how God frames their exile, as in God interpreted for them. And I want you to see how he reveals to them the entire purpose of it was to turn their lives so upside down that they might actually be closer to heaven. You hear that? That God was literally going to turn their worlds upside down so they might fall off of the ground and get closer to heaven. Now, we know that's not how how physics works, but that's the idea, right? God is turning their world upside down so they might end up closer to him. Think about the picture there It actually makes sense But listen to what the word says first As I live Verse 33 As I live says the Lord God Surely with a mighty hand With an outstretched arm And with fury poured out I will rule over you Now we like the mighty hand And outstretched arm But I don't know about the fury part That that just means that they're they're being judged They're being put in exile Because they disobey God I will bring you out from the people and gather you out of the countries where you were scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. So, hey, God says, hey, I've judged you, but I'm going to bring you out of this bondage. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. Isn't hey, God, hey, y'all, y'all are about to get as close as you could be with me, but you had to go through this first. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you. And this is God's way of saying, I'm going to get so involved in your life. I'm going to be like a father holding a baby or a child that does not understand what it's doing I'm going to be so involved in your life. I'm going to make sure that you know what's good for you, what's bad for you, and that you need me to piece it all together. But I've got to put you in this place so that you might get to this right place. I will make you pass under the rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. So he's talking about how some people aren't going to make it back home. But what is the goal of all this at the end of verse 38? Then you will know. Does everybody Bible say that right? You will, what's the word? Know that I am the Lord. So what is the goal in this? That they might possess a knowledge of God. And have a knowledge of Him and a relationship with Him that is the most important and pressing and defining thing about their lives. But what had to happen first? Their lives had to be turned upside down. We spend all of our time trying to secure all that we have for this earth foundation, don't we? Sometimes it becomes so emotionally Economically Politically Invested and anchored in this world God has to pry us Off its foundations To get us closer to him and his kingdom Have you ever glued something down too good? Y'all know what I'm talking about You ever had something stuck To something so good That it took some prying to get off And it kind of came up a little broken. It came a little cracked. It came undone because the glue was so secure that to get it off of that foundation, it required a little bit of heavy lifting. You see what happened to Israel? They were so emotionally and economically and politically and all the things secure to this world. God had to pry them loose. things that we are most intimate knowledgeable about and passionate about they might be preventing us from knowing truly that i am is the lord so what does god do from our perspective he judges his wrath unsettles our comfort but what is he actually doing he's saving us do you see that they thought he was taking good from them. He put them out of their homes. He took them out of the land. But what was God doing the whole time? He was saving them. When he turned their worlds upside down, he was actually setting things right side up. Hello? Now, it was said of the early church, when, when Paul and his crowd were coming into Greece, this is what some of the Gentiles reported These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king named Jesus. But don't you see, by turning the world upside down, they were getting closer to heaven. And don't you think God has to do that sometimes to us? That's what he did to Israel. When we get turned upside down, the opportunity is for us to get closer to a higher throne. If God didn't care about Israel, he would have left them with their idols. He would have left them to waste in their life. And in verse 39, he says to them, ask you, O house of Israel, go and serve every one of you his idols. And hereafter, if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name no more with your gifts and your idols. He says, hey, if y'all don't want to serve me, I'm not forcing it on you. You know what the right way is, that you wouldn't profane me and you wouldn't serve other gods. But if you don't want this, I'm not forcing it on you. Go and serve me. Go and do whatever you want to do. Listen, we all can get up from this place. We can go back to our vain idols and pour ourselves out that at their altars. And believe me, there are plenty of people, places, and things in this world that will make you feel real good about laying your life down at their feet. They will make you feel like you're doing the right thing. You're doing the only thing you can do. And you'll feel as if, hey, I've got to do this because this is the only way I'm going to make it. But we will never find what we truly need. We will never find in them what God has to offer us. Salvation from from the things inside of us that we can medicate with this world's goods. We can numb with this world's words. But we will not find what we actually need. The shame and sorrow and sin, the fear, anxiety, and doubt, the unquenchable appetites that we have are only curable in the hands of God. Ezekiel realized the temple and traditions, none of these things were the source of his salvation. They were all placeholders as well. He spent his life in exile, pleading to a nation, pleading to us, come and see, come and hear, come and know the Lord. 40 through 44. For on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord God, there are all, there all the house of Israel, all of them in the land shall serve me. There I will accept them and I will require your offerings and first fruits of your sacrifices together with all the holy things. I will bring you as the sweet aroma when I bring you out from the people and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. He says this is what is available to them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you out into the land, into the country for which I raise my hand and an oath to give to your Father. Do you see what God is saying? I promised to give you the best I could. And I'm not going to let this world and your flesh keep you from it. I promise. And I'm going to keep that from There you shall remember your ways and all your doings in which you were defiled. You shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you had committed. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor to your corrupt doings. He said, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you from my love what you don't deserve and could not burn. I don't know about y'all, but there is no comparable invitation to what we just read. Nothing. Nobody promises, no system offers us anything on the basis of some goodness. Anybody in this world, anything in this world, anything that you go after in this world says, if you do this, I'll do this for you. vote for me, I'll do this for you. If you fight for me, I'll do this for you. If you work for me, I'll give this to you. But you know what God says? I've done this for you, and from my own good pleasure, I'm going to give you the kingdom. Free of charge. So children, what are we waiting on? What are we wasting our lives on while this experience is available to us, and waiting on us? There is an experience like none other only available through deep, intimate, personal knowledge of God. What are we waiting on? For what are we wasting our time on otherwise? You see what God showed to Ezekiel? Their exile was actually an entry point to experience God. To know God. How many times have we read that phrase in our time today? That you may know See, you think something's more important than that? I don't think so. We won't read it, but back in Ezekiel 16, if you want to read that whole passage, you'll find that God talks about how other nations, how other pagan nations didn't serve him. He just destroyed them. He didn't give him a chance. He brings up Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and he actually says to, about Solomon and Gomorrah, not what you might think he would say about them. He says, you know why I destroyed them? Because they were lazy, and they were idle, and they were full of riches of this world, and they didn't think they need me anymore. That's, what he, that's why he says it. Now, I know there's other stuff going on, but Ezekiel 16, 49, he says, they were rich, and they were full, and they didn't need me. But for Israel, God took that stuff away. So they might know him. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul records a prayer for the church along these same lines, praying that we might take hold of the precious knowledge of Jesus and come to know the Lord through the way he has made for us, through Jesus Christ. And I just want you to just get as clear a picture of the gospel that you can. Jesus came and knew us to the point of becoming our very sins. That's how intimately Jesus knows you. When Jesus got on the cross, you know how much he, you know how intimate he is of who you are? He became your very sins. He suffered everything you've ever suffered. He feel, felt your sorrow. He felt your shame. He became so acquainted with you, he got all the worst parts about you. And he absorbed them. He felt them. And he suffered under the weight. As broken as you have ever been or felt, Jesus absorbed all of that for you and everybody else. He came and knew you. He became your very sin. So that you might know his love and know him. And become like him. Let me read this to you in close, and you can read it. You can look up look there with me if you'd like to in Colossians. But listen to Paul's prayer. Over us. For this reason, we, since the day we heard of you, do not cease to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Hear that knowledge a couple times there. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son in his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul prays that we might have the knowledge of God, what he's done for us, and what he can do in us. He says Jesus is the firstborn over all the creation. He is the one who rules in all and through all and over all. He is the preeminent God of creation. He is the head of the church, and he invites you to know him. The one who spoke everything into existence, who holds you together, can be known by every one of us. So I leave you with a simple question. Do you know him? Maybe you know things about him. Maybe you're acquainted with him. But do you know him? And let me ask you, let me put it this way. Are you satisfied with the knowledge you have of him? does something tell you that there might be more available to you? And and maybe now you realize that the circumstances around you have been steering you in this direction. Prying you loose so that you might know. According to desire within you, if you allow your circumstances to come under his lordship, you can see how God has set things up perfectly for you to know him fully. Maybe you only now realize your exile, your excruciating circumstances are all part of God's plan. They were the entry point the whole time. So don't wait. Don't wait for things to seem or feel right. Right here, right now, God can be known. Will you pursue him as he has invited you? Father, thank you for making a way for all of us to know you. To know you deeper and more intimate than we know and and, and cherish anything else in this world. God, if there's anybody in the house today that they would confess, they don't know. They've never known Jesus personally. They've never put their faith in him. They've never sought him from their heart of hearts. They've been casually acquainted with him. They know about him, but they've never walk hand in hand with him they've never lived each day for him Lord would you show them today that they can know you by putting faith in Jesus by trusting that Jesus died for them to bring them into his kingdom Lord for everybody else here that knows God would you ask them the question do they know you do they know everything and as much about you as they are satisfied with would you invite them to know you more to know you deeper, to know you more intimately, to pursue you every single day with their heart of hearts, not turning toward the world, but of seeing how you're working in their worlds to bring them to you. We ask this in Jesus' name.